Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Umber Kennedy of the Irish Times and economist Alan McQuaid about the state's record corporation tax take in the year to date. Is this tax income sustainable into the long term? And what should the government do with these bumper receipts? I'll also be talking to Dermot Jewell of the Consumers Association of Ireland about changes to the rules on gift vouchers following a 25-year campaign. But first, I'm joined in studio by Peter Hamilton for a roundup of some of the major business stories of the week. Uh, Peter, you're very welcome. Uh, We're going to start with accountancy stroke banking and Sean Fitzpatrick and his disciplinary hearing in front of Chartered Accountants Ireland. That's right. He was up this week. Uh, It had been delayed for some time as the court issues went on. The DPP asked Chartered Accountants Ireland to delay this in 2011. It came back in 2018 and uh, this week we had it. So what happened was Sean Fitzpatrick, the former chairman of Anglo, had his membership of Chartered Accountants Ireland revoked and he was ordered to pay a fine of €25,000. Now, those two things don't sound terribly serious in themselves. The maximum fine here is thirty grand, and uh, the maximum non-financial sentence is mm. exclusion from the institute. So that's what happened to him. They found that he made a series of failures in concealing loans between Anglo and Irish Nationwide Building Society uh, in the lead-up to the crash uh, over a nine-year period. He accepted that allegation made against him in respect of trans- tra- uh, temporary loan transfers. Um, they, that was where he would refinance personal loans with Irish Nationwide at the year end so that they would be hidden from public scrutiny. So taken off the balance sheet of Anglo at the year end uh, and transferred over to, to IMBS. Temporarily and yeah. usually for a period of maybe five days. Uh, so they, so they so wouldn't, wouldn't appear in the annual report, for Indeed. example. Yeah. yeah, and in 2007 alone, that process amounted to €122 million Euro across three different currencies. So he was quite exposed uh, mm. at that time. We knew this already, of course. But yeah. uh, You were at the hearing. I was at the hearing, yeah. W- was so he there? He didn't come himself. He was represented by uh, Solicitor Michael Staines. Uh, Mr Staines also represented David Drum, people may remember, um, in his criminal action. But uh, So what happened was that uh, Sean Fitzpatrick had originally offered to pay €20,000 and uh, Michael Stain said that this would have put him to the pin of his collar, that 20000 mm. that his only asset was his pension. Um, but but he, he noted that €20,000 was due to Sean Fitzpatrick. We don't know where that was from. He didn't elaborate on it. Um, but that, that fact about it being his only pension... Um, we should note that the Irish Times reported last month that he is seeking permission to build a new four-bed house at the back of his Greystones home. Uh, but it's anyway, very curious, isn't it? It was a peculiar case. It was peculiar. There were um, there was more information. Well, no, peculiar there. that he and his wife have put in the planning application yeah. for uh, for this new home in Greystones, and yet we're told, according to the hearing, that he's to the pin of his collar to pay uh, twenty, 20 grand. Yeah. Should be said, I suppose, his wife owns the house in Greystones. He was a bankrupt, um, mm. so she took full possession of that. She bought out his interest. Now Michael Staines did point out that he is looking after his wife as well with this pension. Um, we, d- we don't know the extent of this pension but uh, mm. one would imagine it's not good one, insubstantial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It pe- wasn't included in the bankruptcy at that time. I think the rules have since changed around bankruptcy. Yeah. Now people will wonder why you know 11 years on from when Sean Fitzpatrick stood down from Anglo-Irish Bank it's only now that his membership of Chartered Accountants Ireland uh, is terminated. Now that, yeah, so they were asked to postpone it for a period of about seven years, and and you know, in, in fairness to them, they they did that and they were willing to do that. It was only last year uh, when David Drum came up before the Charter Accountants Ireland Disciplinary Tribunal. So, I suppose the delay has still been significant, but there's a period of seven years where they couldn't do anything anyway. So, 
uh, it's not totally their fault. Yeah, okay. There's a couple of cases still pending, including EY. That's um, right. Facing a, a disciplinary hearing from yeah. Charter Accountants Ireland in relation to its audits of Anglo-Irish Bank. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Now, Irish whiskey seem to have escaped the worst of the tariff war that's going on between uh, Donald Trump and the European Union. There's a bit of retaliation and uh, tit for tat. Mm. Uh, but a, a report by Suzanne Lynch, our own Suzanne Lynch in Washington, D.C. this week, suggests that Irish whiskey might now be captured by uh, some tariffs from the US. That's right. She reported that the United States Trade Representative warned that the US may introduce new tariffs on whiskey. Um, this issue relates to Airbus and supposed illegal state or illegal aid given by the European mm. Union which the WTO found that the, the EU did uh, give illegal aid to Airbus so uh, Donald Trump retaliated and initially we thought that Irish whiskey was in the firing line but we escaped it because it was Scotch whiskey and uh, and things like Baileys and as you said butter butter now in the US the, the second Ar- Irish butter and cheese uh, and Kerrygold, for example, the second biggest butter brand in the US, uh, now going to become a lot more expensive as a result of this. But the fact that Irish whiskey is up again uh, is obviously going to be a concern for the industry. It's now in growth mode, very much so. We have a raft of new distilleries here, so this uh, isn't the yeah. best time. I mean, it's by far the biggest market for Irish whiskey, right? And Jemison um, is the biggest Irish whiskey in town and it has made great play in the United States over the last, it's poured millions and millions every year in, into marketing there. So it's, it's a big issue for the industry, isn't it? Well, well, it is. I think, you know, the tariffs could be a quarter, 25% uh, of the mm. current price for an industry that, as, as you say, is in growth mode now. That extra charge could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. It could uh, prevent US consumers from from buying Irish whiskey, which is a very much a key market. Yeah. Yes, uh, Irish distillers have in their distillery down in Cork, they have a, a visitor's uh, centre where mm. you can obviously um, buy the product and uh, very popular with American uh, visitors who uh, pop along to I've see. I've been there myself. It's, it's, it's excellent. Yeah. yeah, but they told me um, subsequently that they get a lot of complaints from uh, Americans because they buy their uh, Jemison of uh, whatever hue or colour, red breast or whatever it might be and they take it home and then they realise that in the local market um, they can actually get it a bit cheaper uh, because it's heavily taxed, obviously, here in Ireland. So to buy it at retail level in Ireland is quite expensive to do it in the shop. And so they get a number of complaints and then they have to write back and tell them, well, sorry about that, but that's just the way we're, we're taxed in Ireland. So anyway, who knows? Uh, maybe, that's, yeah. maybe that 20, uh, 25% tariff might equalise the price between the two. It should be said that all those new gin distilleries that we're, we've all been talking mm. about for the past few years all their whiskey is now beginning to come to fruition. You know, they, they didn't always want to be gin distilleries. They wanted to do the whiskey thing. It's a bad time for them as well. There are plenty of those knocking around. Uh, and now that their whiskey is about to be sold on the market for this to come in, it's just, a, it's sure. a perfect storm. And our old friends at Drum Shambo in County Leitrim just launched their first right. batch of whiskey yeah. um, last week. Okay, mm. well, we wish them well. Now, uh, let's talk about Google. Uh, the co-founders uh, took us slightly by surprise last night by announcing that they were going to step down from their executive roles with the parent company Alphabet. Yeah, the, the, amongst the richest people in the world, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin said that they were stepping down, as you said, as, as president and CEO of mm. Alphabet. Alphabet, it should be said, is Google's parent company, uh, controls a number of companies, including a self-driving car business called Way and a healthcare software company called Virilli. Um, YouTube was in under Google's ownership, which was controlled by a man called Sundar Pichai, who controls about 1% of Google. So this was unusual. The, the two roles, uh, the president role is not being replaced. The CEO role is, uh, uh, and that's uh, Sundar Pichai is taking over that role. Um, 
they will still remain on as directors of the parent company and indeed they control more than 50% of the business through preferred shares. So look, they're, they're, they're not going anywhere. They're, sure. they're, they're, they're moving on but they're not really going anywhere. Yeah. Both of them worth in excess of 50 billion as well, it should be said. Right, okay, they're doing okay. Um, now Google has a big footprint in mm. Dublin and they're set to expand that according to a report from our very own Ronald Quinlan this week. That's right, Ronald reported this morning that they have, uh, that they're closing in on a deal a 120 million euro deal mm. to buy the Treasury building. This will be known uh, to people around the Grand Canal area. One of uh, Johnny Ronan's uh, boom time, boom time uh, assets. Um, this would add to a significant portfolio that Google has here. In 2011, they bought their European headquarters on Barrow Street for 100 million at the time, which was pretty decent price, and the nearby uh, Montevetro building for 99 million. They've subsequently had to shell out considerably more on commercial property. Uh, their Boland's Key scheme, which people would be familiar with now, the Boland's Mill, uh, th- that was 300 million just to buy that. Um, and then, uh, so, so, so they've plenty of assets here. They're also, also renting a lot. People will know the Velasco building uh, and also Marlis, Pat Crean's building, the sorting office. They're said to be in talks to rent the entirety of that 200,000 square foot there. Yeah, rather suggests they're here for the long term. If you're going to spend that amount of money and put down these kind of routes mm. in a market, it suggests they're here for the long term. We're constantly seem to be fretting um, that a lot of these big American multinationals might... Um, simply up sticks and leave Ireland and thousands of people lose their jobs and you know lots of suppliers be affected and so on. It's happened in the past in some cases Dell of course uh, left Limerick but in, in this case it would seem to indicate that Google's here for the long term. These are expensive spend assets. that kind of money yeah. And I suppose unlike Facebook fa- Facebook is renting its offices and you know that office that Facebook office in Grand Canal will also uh, come up quite soon um, as as you reported last year Facebook are taking over a large site in Balls Bridge formerly the AIB Bank Centre so um you know, there's more space to be gotten for Google and Grand Canal if they if they wanted, and that'll come up quite soon. Their control of Grand Canal, maybe the concentration of one company is a bit concerning, but mm. you know, you're I, I think you're probably right there. It doesn't suggest that Google's going anywhere anytime soon. Like they've also spread it out to East Point, Sandyford, so they are spreading their footprint quite considerably. Yeah. Okay, Peter, we leave it there. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Now, on Tuesday, the government published exchequer returns for the year to date. Among other things, it showed that corporation tax receipts topped 10 billion euro, a new record for the first 11 months of a year. It was also 560 million euro up year on year. And yet we're told that these receipts are not sustainable and are dependent on a small number of big global tech companies based here. Joining me in studio to discuss this issue are Owen Burke Kennedy of the Irish Times and economist Alan McQuaid. Owen, we might start with you. You might just take us through the headline numbers there on corporation tax. Yeah, well, it looks like overall another bumper year in tax for the government. Uh, the overall figures show they collected $55 billion, um, and that's $1.4 billion ahead of what they expected. Now, that $1.4 billion uh, excess, if you like, um, 1.1 of it is coming from corporation tax. And last month alone, which in November, they collected $3 million in, in one single month, which is a record, an all-time record. So the tide on corporation tax just keeps keeps coming in despite uh, these warnings that we're yeah, getting. Three billion. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's leading to this surge in tax receipts from uh, corporations? Well, a few years ago, there was a kind of global outcry about uh, multinational tax avoidance. And since then, there's been a lot of onshoring of assets, uh, especially IP assets in the tech sector. And so companies have tried to basically put a, a lot more assets and, uh, and their profits together. And we seem to be the benefactors of that. Now, uh, 
uh, IFACTA, Fiscal Advisory Council and others are warning that uh, because the base is so concentrated around a small number of uh, companies, 80% of the receipts come from multinationals, but 50% of the receipts come from only a handful of companies. And because it's so concentrated, uh, we could be at risk of a reversal because it's such a small number of uh, companies involved. And then the other big vulnerability is that the OECD are planning to reform the global tax rules, which is going to uh, associate uh, more of the profits with where the sales are. Now, being a small country, we're obviously going to suffer under that uh, reform. Yeah. Um, Alan, you've been looking at the returns for uh, many, many years. These corporation tax numbers, are they mind-boggling in your in your opinion? Well, they're certainly uh, a lot higher than, than what they used to be. And there's no doubt, as Owen points out, I mean, clearly... The uh, the arrival of, of a lot of these high profile multinationals here has been has been a key factor. Um, I mean, I've always argued, and this, this is one of the arguments that people question: is you know whether Ireland is the fifty first state, you know, of America, you know, whether these multinationals are here just for the corporation tax, or is it because um, they are favourably expo- uh, disposed to Ireland because of heritage and because of you know the that uh, a lot of them have sort of they may not be first generation Irish, but maybe second or third generation and have relations with Ireland going back so they'll always look favourably on Ireland uh, and if you go to the IDA press conferences the IDA will always argue that there's more to it than just the, the actual rate of tax that attracts these people in the, the level of the workforce highly skilled etc you know mm, the language so, and so forth yeah, yeah ex- exactly so um you know, it's interesting that uh, I think the Department of Finance did their own survey or did their own research on it, and I think, I think on the figures last year, and, and their uh, conclusions seem to be that uh, most of it, uh, the, the, the receipts were, were accounted for by normal sort of factors, i.e. profitability of, of these companies, whereas, as Owen points out, the Fiscal Advisory Council has, has suggested 60% of these um, uh, of the of the take a sort of windfall, and you can't rely on it. Um, and so I, I think the problem is um, it's very difficult to know. Um, as I was saying to you before we we came on air, that um, uh, I've been at and I'm sure we've all been at a number of these CSO press conferences and the national accounts when the CSO is very reluctant to give too much away on, on exactly what's going on. They will cite the sort of multinationals as obviously uh, the key contributor, but they will. Or reluctant to identify any individual companies, etc. Um, and I remember someone telling me that at one of these press conferences, at least, that there was legal representatives of, of multinationals uh, there to, to make sure nothing was said that was, you know, that uh, pointed a finger at, at, at individual companies. Now, whether the the, the, the numbers are sustainable, um, it's hard to know. I think. Um, the economy is obviously performing well. We've seen that from other numbers, apart from corporation tax, the employment numbers up the year to date have been very, very strong. The numbers we have in GDP, uh, albeit only for the first half of the year, are very, 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 very strong too. So it does suggest um, that, you know, the world, uh, the economy is, is doing okay. Um, US is doing okay. Um, it's certainly the be- best of the of the main economies. And we clearly, given the numbers from the CSO that have been reduced by the CSO, are, are doing doing well as uh, too. So on that basis, uh, it's no surprise that you know uh, receipts are, are, are strong. But in terms of trying to identify how much of it is actually uh, one off and how much of it is actually um, sort of sustainable, is it's, it's, it's not impossible really. I'd say. Yeah. What's the government doing with this unexpected windfall? Well, that's another issue. I mean, I mean, what they are doing, what they should be doing with it. I mean, I think the um, 
I think a lot of people would say that the government, or governments, not just this government, but governments uh, past have tended to waste money. They just spend it on sort of uh, cover up the holes in the, the health spending, etc. And uh, it's, it's just in a black hole, really. And that's obviously a worry. Um, I think clearly uh, we've seen ourselves with the developments in the last uh, couple of days today as well in terms of the on the political front, uh, a general election is looming. So we know that politicians... Uh, aren't going to be worried about corporation tax it's a huge amount of money for these people um, corporation tax is not going to be an issue on the doorsteps oh, we know, all, know, all know that the big issue is going to be health um, you know um, housing clearly so if you have money that's going to you can fund some of this sort of worries in, the, in these areas you're going to say fair enough you know, you're not even going to go near the, the income tax area you're just going to say look we have money here from the corporation tax uh, we'll use that money for the for the time being to get us through an election to cover up these um, areas that people are going to be concerned about and let's face it too um, bingo is probably going to play a bigger issue in the in, in the general election than corporation tax given to what we've seen in the the way uh, bingo, bingo players have been treated you know because obviously a lot of these people are, are, are older generation and I think the figures tend to show that older people have a bigger inclination to yeah, vote. It's very, much, it's very yeah. much community based as yeah, well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, Owen, we had a um, we had a boring budget, really, didn't we? In October, uh, it was supposed to Brexit proof the economy. There weren't too many giveaways, but as Alan says, there is an election looming now. It's just around the corner. We have all of this surplus cash. Would you well, expect? I, I, I suppose it was a dream for the minister for finance to have a. Uh, that sort of budget where he could justifiably sit on his hands and and deflect all calls on the public purse with the with the Brexit risk, and of course he, he managed to kind of sidle through a lot of the uh, demands for for extra funds on the public purse. So it's it's hard to know. Uh, it's really hard to judge the risk uh, that's facing the exchequer from uh, you know corporate tax. But I mean the revenues that they're generating are just huge. They're monstrous. I mean I want to put it in perspective that the back in two thousand and fourteen. Uh, domestically owned companies in in the Irish economy uh, uh, gave rise to one billion of corporate tax. That's now doubled to two billion, which is pretty impressive uh, as a performance for a domestic economy. But there's another eight billion coming in from multinationals, which just shows how uh, you know, I suppose, held aloft we are by international circumstances. Yeah, sure, uh, and we'll come to that in a moment. Um, but our tax receipts what up nearly three and a half billion on two thousand and eighteen for the first eleven months uh, this year. Yeah, and up one point four billion on what the government had actually planned for, which is anticipated. Uh, yeah. yeah, it has a certain amount of optimistic assumptions in it as well. Now, what about this rainy day fund? We've heard a lot about this over the last couple of years from Fine Gael, putting money away for a rainy day, and you know fears about recession and uh, Trump's trade wars with the EU and with China and Brexit, etc., and how that could affect the economy. Why don't they put this extra loot into this rainy day fund? Well, just to remind our listeners, uh, when it was initially uh, uh, mooted as an idea in 2016, the government had promised to set aside 1 billion from 2019 on. This was then later revised down to 500 million. And then in the end, uh, we actually didn't put any money in uh, because of the Brexit risk. So it's been incredibly watered down. And most economists and the Fiscal Advisory Council are advising that the windfall taxes should be put into this fund as a buffer against, uh, you know, future downturns or shocks. So at the moment... Um, a watered down rainy, rainy day fund. A watered down rainy day fund. And at the moment, as Alan said... In terms, but anyway, uh, Alan, did you buy the whole rainy day fund idea? Well, it, I mean, look, it, it, the, the, the notion of it or the idea of having it there makes a lot of sense. Um, 
But again, I mean, politicians being politicians, the, the, there's always the, the tendency or the risk that they're just going to put their hand in when other issues arise that, you know, when they see civil servants need a pay rise or someone's going on on, on, on strike and, you know, to, just to keep people happy, they, they tip into it. So, look, I think in fairness to, to the minister in, 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 in the budget, I mean, he, there's very little he could do in terms of give money away because the Brexit issue is such a, is such a big one. It's, it's, it's a big one for us. Uh, it's a big one for the EU as well. But you can't be making decisions until you see exactly how things play out. And it's interesting today, we see the central bank and people be on about the central bank and the mortgage lending rules. Again, you'd have to say, you know, well, it may not suit people in some ways, people trying to get on the, 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 the ladder in terms of buying a house. The central bank can't afford to be taking risks in terms of Brexit could could potentially do a lot of damage to the economy. I'm not saying it will. It could potentially do a lot of damage to the economy. Um, but I think, you know, all you can do is at least say we're going to have some money put away if if, if things turn pear-shaped. Um, I'm not totally convinced. I think, as I say, um, you know, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of promises be made in a lot of areas uh, on the doorsteps when when the election does start taking place. Um because that's the, that's the what politicians do. Um, they tend to ignore the advice of um, whether it be their their own government officials or economists or, or whatever, um, and just buy themselves votes to to get, get through to the next, you know get themselves in for another four three or four years. You know? Just just on that point today, Seamus Coffey was at the um, Oireachtas Committee uh, Budgetary Oversight, and he suggested that some of the excess windfall taxes could be pushed into the MTMA to to manage the liquidity of the economy of the state. You can imagine politicians trying to justify that on the doorsteps during the forthcoming election. It would be a difficult sell. Yeah, it's yeah it, is, it, is, it is difficult. I mean, I mean, look, as I said to you, 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 when they go to the doorsteps, the only issues that people are worried about are housing. If we see the housing issues, it's disastrous from every aspect, whether it be social housing or people trying to get on the ladder to get, in terms of trying to get, sure. get you know, get a mortgage to get a house. Uh, my own kids, the same, two daughters in their twenties, are home with us, and no sign of you know getting out because no chance of getting out really, you know. And the health situation, which is always a problem in terms of you know uh, for governments when they come before the electorate, uh, and you know the, the, you know there are other issues there, and certainly um, trying to terms trying to sell. As Owen says, trying to sell, putting money away in a, for a rainy fund, and it's not going to—it's not going to yeah. wash, really. You know, mm-hmm. Alan, should we be worried about the potential for another crash? A lot of people, you know, uh, they worry about the Dublin market and property and, and the way values have gone and so forth. And then, if you look at the um, on a global scale, we've got Brexit, which you've mentioned. We've got Trump and his trade wars with the EU and with China. We see that Irish whiskey now might be caught up uh, in these tariffs uh, with America. Um, and, you know, there's lots of other stuff bubbling away in, in Latin America and in Asia, Hong Kong and, and all of that. It's very uns- it's very unstable. Um, although, you know, bizarrely, the stock markets have been doing well these uh, last few months. So just help us to try and figure out what might be around the, the corner for the Irish economy. Well, I think geopolitically, I think uh, risks are really intensified. I think they are really elevated uh, at this point in time. Uh, the most elevated they've been for a long for for a number of years, you know. Um, I think this the um, the whole Trump Brexit thing are symptomatic, and we've seen this in other countries, Italy as well, where people have had enough and we're moving away from globalization back towards nationalism and what I call the me myself I syndrome. You know, you put yourself first, 
Uh, I don't think it works in any uh, facet of life. I think that only ends up in tears. Uh, I think this will end up in tears as well. I mean, I think what you're going to see is I think you'll eventually see in terms of stock market, you will see, I think, a bigger crash than you did back in 87. I think when this eventually unravels. Now, I'm not saying it'll unravel tomorrow. How long? Well, it could, be a few, it could be a few years because if you go back to the Greenspan era in... He talked about irrational exuberance, and it was another two years before the and, and you know the, the market actually fell. So it could be years, but I, I just think the way the system is set up, this idea of negative interest rates, central banks pumping money in, not being too sure themselves how to how to get out out of you know the the whole situation they're in. Uh, I just think the way it's gone, it's it's going to it's going to end up with a big sort of explosion. That in itself would be bad for the, for the global economy. I think we're getting through at the moment because I think. Uh, whether it's pressure from Trump or whatever, the Federal Reserve took a complete U-turn and suddenly decided to cut US interest rates. They have scope to cut rates. The ECB hasn't, other banks haven't, but at least the, the Fed has scope to cut rates. The fact that monetary policy, you know, rates are going down and down and down, that's fueling the 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 uh, the, the, the rally on, on, on the stock market. It's, you know, just pump that money in and we'll be fine. Uh, we'll be fine, yes, uh, it could go on for another few years, but I think at the end of it all, it's just going to end in a sort of big blowout, and that's going to be bad all round. Oh gosh, that's a pretty gloomy uh, perspective well, thinking, of, uh, no, of things pre-Christmas, uh, uh, Alan. No, I think I've, I've always said this. I, I think I'd say one thing with the Irish: Ireland is great resilience, and we will bounce back. No matter what happens, I think one thing great traits about Irish people is that it was the Celtic Tiger era was great. We went through an awful time for a few years. We've come out of it, uh, okay, not, not everybody is, 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 is in great shape, but most people are back on their feet. And even in a scenario of a hard Brexit, it may be bad in the short term, but Ireland will, will, will bounce back. And even in a situation where the global economy has another serious tud, you know, uh, you know, in the next few years, it'll be bad for a while here. But I'm telling you, I mean, I'm fairly certain that we, as a nation, this great little nation of ours, which has forever punched above its weight, will punch above its weight again. All right. Well, here's hoping. We'll, we'll get you back maybe uh, in, in a few years' time to see if that's. Uh... <laughs> well, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm not a bit of Ireland, but I mean, in terms of being resilient, but in terms of that, the, the, the thing doesn't uh, end badly in terms of on a global scenario, you know? All right. We'll leave it there. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Association of Ireland about welcome changes to the rules on gift vouchers. Back in a few moments. You're listening to the Irish Times. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Now, the Consumer Protection Gift Vouchers Bill came into force at the beginning of this week. This means that practically all gift vouchers purchased from here on in will have a lifespan of five years. Joining me in the studio to discuss how this will work in practice is Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Association of Ireland. Dermot, I read somewhere that you've been fighting this case for 25 years. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. I'm that long with the Consumers Association and I remember in my first year there, um, people ringing up and coming in with complaints and problems where they brought in a gift voucher or a credit note um, to, to, to a store and they were refused value for it because it had gone out of date. Now, at that stage, the dates were on average 12 months, but over the period of time intervening in the 25 years, that's reduced to a validity of three months, sometimes six months, but a maximum of 12, which right. is ludicrous. Now, this new bill, what will it mean? 
Well, it means that that kind of situation won't exist again. You would now have that the value of whatever was paid across the counter um, to receive a piece of paper in, in return will stay valued and, and valid for a period of a minimum of five years. If the retailer wants to go beyond that, that's good. That's, that's, that's down to them and their business. But at least you have that protection. It's guaranteed for five years. Right, OK. So good news on this front. I was in the Shabron Hotel yesterday and I was buying a gift voucher as a Christmas present and I asked the helpful lady who was providing me with the gift voucher what the uh, expiry period was and she said five years. She, oh, that's she gave, So obviously the training in the Shelburne Hotel has, uh, has worked. Um, was it sharp practice on the part of retailers to offer periods of only maybe three months or four months or whatever? Oh, absolutely. I'm convinced that that was the case. I mean, there will, I, I suppose I should put it in with the caveat that there, there are a lot of very good retailers mm. out there who, if you walked in with a piece of paper, whether we were only speaking about it some time ago, if it was in punts or pounds, they, they gave it the value. They were happy to see a customer come back and they see it as goodwill. But the reality was that most took the opportunity to say that, well, yeah, I know you gave us €100 Euro across the counter um, 13 months ago at this stage, but there was a 12-month time limit didn't use it, you didn't spend it, so you're getting nothing for it. That was, of course that's sharp practice, that's bad business. Yeah, and in fact some of the retailers were taking money off, they would say after 12 months you lose 10 quid or 50 quid or whatever it might be and after maybe another 6 months or 12 months you lose another sum of money. Yeah, it was just a notional thing for them. I mean, they, they literally made it up as they went along yeah. and that was the problem with it. We always talk about consumer choice. The consumer had no choice whatsoever in this. If you, if you bought one well, of these Well, they had a choice. They could have just handed over cash, I suppose, to the recipient. No, I couldn't agree if, if more. If you were given it in as that a present, regard. you could just... But I mean, when you took the, when you took the piece of paper sure. and it may, it may have been that you brought something back, weren't able to take something at the time to suit it. So you said, fine, yes, I'll take the credit note um, to the value of whatever it is. Yeah. But if you let put it aside, or, which is a big problem, a serious problem with people, that they're forgetting about having these things, which you really, more than ever now, should not do, then it, it ran into an ill value. Now, gift vouchers before the, the date that this was enacted at the beginning of this week, what happens to them? Do the old rules still apply? Old rules still apply. It wasn't re- the, the bill is not retrospective, so you're literally going to have to I- engage with the retailer and try to ask them to be pragmatic in the sense that, sure. look, there's a new rule here now. Let's meet at least midway. Give me the value of it. How much are we spending on gift vouchers every year? Permanent Business Enterprise and Innovation came forward with a figure there um, a number of weeks ago of 600 million. Mm. But the frightening figure in the background of that was 120 million of that was not redeemed. And when you think what could be done with that amount of money, it's a problem. It's a very real problem. So we've got to emphasise the message. Look, I know we fought to get the five-year validity, but use these things sooner than later. It's your money. Enjoy it. Don't forget about it. And if you are going, if you are going to put it away for a, a, a coming birthday or an occasion or something, at least stick a note in the diary on the phone or in your diary, whatever f- means you use to remind yourself that this needs to be used by a, by a, a sooner date than later. Sure. Okay. Check all your drawers and, and check all your coats and pockets um, just to make sure you don't have any lying around that might be going out of date. Now, will this legislation apply to vouchers that you might buy on Groupon or Pigsback? Um, very, very little consideration around so many of those. The same with gift cards. It won't apply to gift cards. Um, it's it's a prop. The, the the approach with those is different. Cards predominantly do not have a, a an end by date, if you like. What does bring them to an end is that after the 13th month on month 14 a charge kicks in which you are advised of when you buy it but a charge kicks in 
which is a monthly charge that depletes the value of the card over a period of time. The, the element of frustration with the Consumers Association on this one is that they're usually a fixed charge per month. It doesn't matter if the if the the, the card is purchased for a thousand euro or ten euro. It still is depleting at the same amount. I know it's connected to some degree of insurance. I know that, for example, if 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 this business goes out of business, your money's protected. So that's the difference, and that's kind of what you're paying for in the background. And of course, with Groupon and the like, you're you're usually paying for a discounted service in the first that's place. That's exactly it. So it's it, it's not coming up um, and registering on the system. Yeah, mind you, I'm not sure if people use Groupon that much. Anymore. No, not so much. Not so much. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, um, post recession, even, even the selling point has been changed by most retailers and the way they do business. Whether it be a shopping centre or the the famous, you know, the one for all and all the other type of cards that are there. Yeah. Now, two sides to every story on this. It's good for consumers, obviously, but what about businesses? Because Presumably, they have to keep this sort of at the back of their minds. They've sold this 100 euro voucher, let's say. Uh, it hasn't been cashed in in year two. It hasn't been cashed in year uh, three. It hasn't been cashed in year four. But it could be cashed in in year five. And they have to be mindful. That money, you know, they took that money a long time ago, but they've still got to provide the service or the value of that. Absolutely. And I suppose I'll, I'll put my hand up and say that we were looking for a six-year validity on the credit cards at minimum. And the reason for that is that under tax revenue law, you need to maintain records for six years anyway. Um, and if you're accruing through a business structure, then you're accruing for what, what's, what's come in, what's spent and what hasn't been redeemed. So it's, it's really just a, an accounting and an auditing s- structure to keep in place. Um, no more than that. So we don't see it necessarily. I mean, it's money paid up front. It can be used over a number of years if necessary. It's just that you give a promise. It's like getting cut notes into your hand. You give a promise that you'll give the value of it in a period of time. Right. Okay. So happy with this? Happy enough with it. Yes. Yeah, it's it's progress. It's good. Not going to jump. Will we up see a boom in the number of gift vouchers being purchased? Do you think? I don't see. We'll. I don't think we'll see a boom. As I say to you, what worries me a little bit is that somebody will sit back and relax on the five years. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but I'm saying you really should think. Otherwise, try and use it earlier, sooner than later. Businesses are struggling at the best of times. They can go out of business, so use them. And of course, you go out of business, that's it, it's up in smoke. Up in smoke. Yeah, okay. All right, uh, Dermot Jewell, thank you for joining us. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Umberg Kennedy, Alan McQuaid and Dermot Jewell. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 